Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for December 11th, 2017. On today's show, we're going to be talking about the first reactions to Star Wars The Last Jedi. I'm going to play a clip from my Mark Hamill interview, him talking about, is Luke Skywalker still a hero? Uh, the 2018 Golden Globe nom- nominations have been announced. We're going to go over that, who who has been snubbed, uh, who has been nominated. Uh, we, we have learned a little bit more on the story for the Venom movie. Uh, we, we will have reactions for a couple of trailers that broke over the weekend, including the Spider-Man animated movie and Ready Player One. And we'll give an update on Louis C.K.'s I Love You, Daddy, and uh, the future of the Fantastic Four. So we, we have a lot going on today, uh, including a water cooler. Uh, this is Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Home Writers, Y. Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. Uh, so... Two of us have seen Star Wars. One of us hasn't. I have not. <laughs> did, 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 did they not invite you to a screening in DC, HD? No, I'm a loser who doesn't get invited to screenings. We need to so... get you on the screening list somehow. <laughs> um, but Chris, you just got back from seeing the I movie. I did. Um, I came zooming home from the theater so to get here. Uh, I, I think the, the review embargo it doesn't break until tomorrow. There's a social embargo that is broken, so I guess give your social the response you kind of gave on social media. I guess. Yeah, I, I feel like as long as you don't go into yes. spoiler details, that 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 covers it. Oh, and by the way, we are not going to talk any spoilers for Star Wars: The Last Jedi on this podcast. So you can you can go into this feeling free that you know it's going to be as vague as po- as possible. Okay, go on. Do you want me to give my thoughts first? Yeah, yeah, I want to hear your thoughts. I'm okay, I really, li- I really liked it. it it's, it's. Uh, I honestly think this is the best directed Star Wars film yet of all of them. Honestly, I'm. I think I liked the story of the Force Awakens just like a tiny bit more, but the direction on this is fantastic. It's a lot funnier than I thought it was going to be. It's a lot more emotional than I thought it was going to be. It was, it's a very entertaining movie. There are, there are about 10 specific scenes in this movie 
that are like tailor made to make the audience lose their minds. And I know because the audience I was with was literally <laughs> just losing their minds just now. Yeah, there's things in this movie that happen that you don't think would even happen in this sequel Star Wars trilogy. Never mind happen in this film. And uh, you're right. Like, there's those holy shit moments, and it's uh, so very different. I, I'm basically saying what you just said. Uh, it's very different. It's exciting. It's surprising. It's uh, it's a lot more emotional than I thought it was going to be. Even like you know scenes with Carrie Fisher that are not supposed to be played for emotion are very emotional. Just watching her on the big screen, um, you know, unintentional uh, after effects of her uh her death um and i would say try to stay away from spoilers i know we've had the spoiler discussion on on here to death and i know i've been on the side of uh spoilers can't ruin a movie and i still do believe that but i do believe that this movie is um for better or for worse so relying on kind of these holy shit moments that uh that you might want to not be spoiled on those things it's, right. Uh, yeah. So uh, I I, I, I want to add that if you're worried that you might have been spoiled by spoiled spoiled by fan theories, don't worry you're not because almost every fan theory I saw leading up before this film is is like dead wrong. So I was I was really impressed by that that almost no one predicted how this film actually turned out. Yeah, and uh, something that actually I think is surprising is. I think, uh, and I think John Boyega said this at the press conference, that this movie is more of a war movie than any of the other Star Wars movies. And uh, the opening and ending action scenes are more of a war, like, you know, it feels more like a war, like an action scene from a war movie than it does any of the other Star Wars movies. It's, uh, I think the opening one is kind of like a masterclass in filmmaking. I'm excited for people to see it, um, including UHT. I'm very uh, excited. Yes. Before we get to the other reactions from that, though, what, what what have you done over the weekend? Well, since I didn't get to go see Star Wars, I instead went to see um, Darkest Hour, which is the newest film uh, starring Gary Oldman as Winston Churchill and is directed by Joe Wright. And it's sort of part of my catch up on the movies of 2017 and potential Oscar awards run nominees so it was it was a good film I enjoyed it um I always surprise I'm surprised by how much I enjoy Joe Wright films because his films tend to sort of fade from my memory after a little bit apart from Pride and Prejudice which was one of my favorite films growing up but uh he has this really interesting musicality to the way he directs and this is a very tense gripping movie and Gary Oldman is excellent in it he's amazing and definitely deserving of a best actor nomination which we'll get into later but um I I for the most part enjoyed it it was a a movie that definitely felt more like a vehicle for Gary Oldman but uh tapped into that sort of British patriotism we've been feeling more lately especially after Dunkirk came out earlier this summer for sure um and also this weekend I saw The Greatest Showman, but I don't think I'm allowed to talk about that yet. There isn't a clear embargo on that, but uh, <laughs> I'll be talking about that soon. But that, that that's what I did over the weekend. Uh, Chris and H.E., you didn't, you didn't watch any TV, see anything else interesting? Uh, I rewatched Molly's Game with my wife. I'm at that point now where 
movies I've seen already. I'm rewatching with my wife that I've gotten because I've gotten them on screeners for Oscar season. <laughs> so uh, I'm basically watching everything I've seen already again. Now, I know Molly's Game was a film, you know, it's Aaron Sorkin's directorial debut, and you were not that impressed with it when you saw it at TIFF. Seeing it a second time, did you same feeling yeah. or I actually liked it a lot more the second time, I will admit. Um I didn't hate it at TIFF. I just I was a lot of people I was talking to there were sort of like blown away by it and I was kinda underwhelmed. But uh watching it again I appreciated it just a little bit more. I do still think Aaron Sorkin is a better writer than he is a director, but beyond that, uh it's it's an entertaining movie. It moves very quickly. And it's it's sort of like a crowd pleasing movie, so I feel like when it comes out, people will enjoy it. Um, okay, let's get into the news, guys. Uh, you know, we 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 gave our brief Star Wars reactions, but uh, we were not the only ones that. Uh, well, I I was not the only one who was at the premiere, and I'm not the only one that has seen it. Uh, so there's a lot of reactions here. Uh, Chris, could you give us a sample of a couple of the the better reactions, and let's see if they uh, compare to ours. Right. Almost everyone has a very similar uh, reaction that we talked about earlier, where people are saying intense, funny, emotional, exciting. It's jam packed with absolute jaw dropping moments. And I loved it so much. I'm still shaking. Uh, What else we got? We got uh, absolutely beautifully shot, hilarious and full of standout hero moments for everyone. Um, to be clear, uh, Eyes has some story and character issues. It's a little overcrowded and wastes some of the characters, but those are really minor, minor quibbles in the grand scheme of how much I liked it. Uh, cannot overestimate just how gorgeous this film is. I salute you, Ryan Johnson. Some of these shots are all timers and then some, and that's another thing I would agree with. This does look, uh, amazing. Yeah, and a, a lot of people have, you know, since seeing the film, have been asking me, where does this rank in, you know, my ranking of the Star Wars movies? How does this compare to J.J. Abrams' The Force Awakens? And it's, I think it's too early. Like, I'm still, like, kind of, like, figuring out my, you know, I'm still, I still need to see the movie again. And I'm probably going to see it, a, you know, at least a few more times in theaters. But I, I did say on Twitter, because people were asking me, you know, how does it compare to Force Awakens? I think... uh well, before I answer that, let me just say that, number one, I loved Force Awakens uh, more than most people. I think I didn't have the the sameness issues that uh, a lot of people had, aside from, you know, Death Star number three. Um, number two, uh, this is a very different movie, which I think will please a lot of people. Um, it has many moments that are, you know, holy shit, better than Force Awakens. Like, I, the highs are much higher than Force Awakens, in my opinion. But, but uh, in the end of the day, I I think uh, at least after one viewing, I think I like Force Awakens a tad more. And I I know people are gonna like freak out over that comment. I just think Force Awakens might end up being a more rewatchable film. Like this is so uh, concerned with plot and story and twists and turns, and Force Awakens is more about like you know, character introductions and fun moment. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's more, I, I think digestible film to like rewatch over and over again. Uh, right. Chris, do you, do you have any feelings on this? I actually, I agree with you. Um, force awakens. I, I don't know. I guess there's like some sort of weird backlash to that now, but I, I love force awakens. Um, it's actually one of my, I, that might be my favorite star Wars movie, which I'm sure is blasphemy to some people, but I don't care. Um, it's, 
it's a fun movie. Um, I loved the introduction to Ray in that movie. I, anytime anyone brings up, you know, Ray as a Mary Sue, I get very angry because I don't agree with that at all. And I think her character is handled really well in that. I do think if I have any criticism about, uh, the last Jedi, it's that it very much feels like the middle part of a story. And I feel like the force awakens, even though it had that sort of cliffhanger ending in sort of literally actually, but, um, (laughs) it felt more self-contained and this film feels very much like the middle part of a trilogy, which is fine. I'm not complaining about that, but I do wish it were just a little bit more self-contained. I can see that. Um, but we will get more into The Last Jedi later this week. I think on Tuesday morning, the embargo breaks, and we'll have a bunch of coverage, including my spoiler-free reaction, which isn't 100% positive. So you'll you have to read my mm. nitpicks that I have uh, with, with the film. But uh, overall, I really, really like the, the film a lot. Um, I would say it's it's close to Force Awakens. But, uh, okay, Uh Last week, I I covered the World Junk or the uh, the Hollywood Junket for uh, the Last Jedi, and uh, I talked to Mark Hamill, um, and this is before I got to see the movie. Uh, you know, all the press covering this junket basically, you know, went in there asking questions, not n- n- having seen only the trailers. Um, but one of the questions I I did ask. Um, Mark Hamill was, you know, is Luke still a hero, even though he has ran or he has run away? Um, and I thought that was, uh, you know, we, we we record our interviews in audio. So I thought, why not present that audio here for you to listen to? So here is the audio from my interview from with Mark Hamill. Luke Skywalker was a hero in the original trilogy. And I think him and to a certain extent Han Solo after Return of the Jedi, ran away from things. Does that make... Let's forget Hansel. Does that make Luke any less of a hero? Well, you're hitting a point that was a bone of contention. Because you see in the trailer, he says, I know when Drew, it's time for the Jedi to end. Yeah. And I said to Ryan, I said, what are you talking about? A Jedi doesn't give up. If they make a wrong, they try and make it right. That was a big kind of thing, and I had to realize it's, it's not for me to decide. When I see what he was doing that, what my function in the script was, um, my job was to put my own personal feelings aside and do my best to realize his vision. Not Mark Hamill's vision, Ryan Johnson's vision. Whether I agreed with it or not, because, you know, I mean, uh, I used to say to George, I mean, it was funny, uh, why can't Luke have a girlfriend? <laughs> <laughs> you know, eventually I heard in the extended universe there's Mara Jade, yeah. and he got married, he had kids. I still don't know. Are Jedi supposed to be celibate, or can they be married with children? You so, answer that. I think supposedly they're supposed to be celibate, but yeah. the... Uh, I mean, you're kind of hinting into something I was going to ask you, and that is, um, when I saw that line in the trailer, and I'm just seeing the trailer, I'm not seeing the film, so I don't know right. the context line, I kind of think of the Catholic religion, and, like, it's maybe your, it's your character is kind of saying, like, 
this organized religion has turned into this, turned this thing that was good into something bad. Right. This time to, like, is that... Well, the, that's a good way to go. Another, another way to go is what I say. Look, you know, a lot of times in acting, you have to find things that are parallel in your own life to know how to react emotionally in any given uh, scenario. And so I thought, you know, I was of the Beatles generation, and I bought that all you need is love. I said, by the time I get to be, our generation is in power, there'll be no more wars, there'll be no more racial discrimination, there'll be peace and harmony. We failed. Arguably, the world is worse now than it was in the 60s and early 70s. So I drew upon that to try and figure out why Luke was so disillusioned, why he so tragically failed. You know, he did fail. Obviously, he thought Ben Solo was the chosen one, and he was wrong. Now he's almost responsible for the rise of the next Darth Vader. Now, that's where you get into the weeds, because my contention was he wouldn't let that go. He would try and correct that. Um, but for the purposes of the story, and I, without really revealing too much, you'll understand more when you see it. And again, uh, I totally trust Ryan, and I think he's done a spectacular job. I, uh, Lawrence Kasdan said this film was strange, or the script was strange, I think was his wording, or weird, one of those two words. Uh, and I've heard some people said it's different than what you think it's going to be. And you even said at the press conference, the line that epitomizes this movie is, this is not going to go the way you think. Right. What does that mean? Like, what? Well, um, Luke says that to a character in the film, and I was just saying, uh, in retrospect, when I read, first of all, when I read the script and it's time for the Jedi at hand, I just, I just couldn't get beyond that. And, and quite frankly, that, that's not going the way I thought it would. But isn't that a good thing? In other yeah. words, if it's predictable, everyone will say, oh, okay, this happens, that happens, it's no surprise. Even the fact that I'm not the benevolent Jedi that's training others and giving advice and, you know, delivering information as, as Guinness came to me in Empire and so forth, we've seen that before. You know, yeah. You know, I tell you the truth. When my son said, "Dad, there's a there's a novel out there where they clone an evil Luke from your severed hand," I went, "Oh, <laughs> baby, what I love that." And when, of course, when I told Ryan, he says, "Oh, I love that too, but it's been done. We've got to do something that's never been done before." But you know, actors, we all want to play our own evil twin. <laughs> Twice the screen time, you know, it's all man in the iron mask time where you get to play your own twin, Betty Davis and Dead Ringer. Is Luke still a hero? Well, I think... And is, is he the chosen one? Who is the chosen one? Actually, that's a better question. Well, that does get into spoiler territory. You know, the thing about Luke that I thought was special was that how unremarkable a person he was. When we first meet him, he's sort of clueless. He's a farm boy, and I think that's the entry-level character that young people will relate to because... You know, Hansel is a little intimidating. He's kind of cynical. Carrie is royalty. Yeah. You know, Guinness is a wizard. Luke, he's the everyman. But it says that anybody has the potential to, if they do the right thing and they do things for 
the greater good rather selflessly without any element of self-aggrandizement that you, everyone, has the potential to become a hero. So uh, I, I think you'll always be a hero even if he's a fallen hero, even if he's a flawed hero, or if he's a failure as a hero. But obviously, it's not my story anymore. Yeah. The focus now is on the new protagonist, played by Daisy Ridley. Thank you very much, Mark. <laughs> Thank you. Some great answers. Well, <laughs> I should become a politician. I can talk for hours and not answer your questions. Uh, yeah, you're, 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 you're brilliant at weaving. Thank you. weaving. And there it is. And obviously, Chris and I have seen the movie. We know what's going to happen. So I'm not going to comment any further. But HD, you have not seen the movie. So my mm-hmm. question to you, is Luke Skywalker a coward? Is, is he still a hero, even though he has kind of run away from everything? Well, I don't think coward and hero are mutually exclusive terms. Uh, We've seen Luke battle with the dark side before and uh, not given in to uh, that sort of evil inherent in him and in this case i don't think that is a battle that we're seeing again it's just a matter of him not being able or having failed his former pupil and um yeah kind of fleeing fleeing from from that but i'm not really sure uh why for example like we don't really go into the details from the previews and everything we've seen so far of why he's left and why he's fled and gone into exile but i i'm willing to to accept that he's still a hero uh, and if not a hero's mentor because we don't need to have the mentor be exactly fully heroic either. So I I think maybe he's a more broken and weary man. I don't think he's any less good or heroic than he was before. Well, the world will be will find out later this week. Uh, but let's move on from that. This morning, the nominations for the 2018 Golden Globes was announced. HG, you wrote this up for the site. Uh, What do we need to know and who has been snubbed? So the biggest winners from the Golden Globe nominations so far, I say winners in terms of how many awards they've sort of swept, uh, is The Shape of Water, which has a whopping seven nominations, including Best Motion Picture Drama, three acting categories, Best Director, Best best Screenplay, um, Best Score. So it's it's gotten the most nominations of all the films so far. And uh, we've seen other sort of surprise um, su- su- films that have surprisingly large number of nominations, like uh, the, the Greatest Showman, which swept, which uh, snuck in with the best motion picture comedy or musical. And um, a lot of nominations for All the Money in the World, despite it being sort of reworked two weeks before the... Uh, the release of the film. Christopher Plummer, for example, got a nomination for Best Supporting Actor. Um, a couple snubs, I will say, um, are The Big Sick, which got completely shut out of the awards. Florida Project only got one nomination, which is Willem Dafoe for Best Supporting Actor. And um, I think those are the biggest snubs. Oh, definitely oh, Greta fe- Gerwig. Female and- directors. Yes. No female directors. Greta Gerwig, uh, Dee Reese, Angelina Jolie, none of them got any nominations. And um, Jordan Peele also didn't get a nomination for Get Out, even though that one got three nom- three nominations for uh, Best Comedy or Musical and uh, Best Actor and uh, Screenplay, I think. So it's 
there are a lot of snubs here. Um, I know there's a big argument going around, like Golden Globes tend to, and the horror, the Hollywood foreign press, press tends to sort of reward the bigger stars, uh, as we can see with The Greatest Showman and Hugh Jackman, uh, which kind of took the slot that I would expect the big sick to get. But um, it's it's still sort of the precursor to the Oscars and the way that we try tend to shape the awards race. So I hope that this doesn't mean any um, more shutting out for The Big Sick because that is an excellent film and should have at least deserved a screenplay nomination or um, the best comedy or musical uh, slot. Like, like but, that category um, is made for that movie. Exactly. It's, it's ridiculous. So it, it's odd. There's also fewer nominations for Call Me By Your Name than I expected. I think there were only three nominations, uh, which included uh, Best Performance by an Actor, Best Supporting, and Best Drama. But other th- otherwise, there weren't many. Um, they didn't get Best Song, which people expected. And um, in terms of TV, Big Little Lies sort of led the pack. And uh, Twin Peaks is counted as TV by the Golden Globes. Uh, take that uh, best of the year film list that include Twin Peaks. Um, but uh, <laughs> l- let's move on from the Golden Globes uh, to the Spidey universe. And first we'll talk about Venom. You have this article on the site basically uh, outlining uh, which two comic book storylines are going to be the basis for this Venom movie. So w- what do we know, HD? Yeah, so director Ruben Fleischer, I think that's how you say his name, uh, has – announced that he will be drawing inspiration for the Venom movie starring Tom Hardy uh, from these two comic book runs, which are Lethal Protector and Planet of Symbiotes. So Lethal Protector was a 1993 limited series by David Michelini, and uh, it kind of marked Venom's first turn from ambiguous villain to full-fledged antihero. And it's it followed him... Uh, making a new start in San Francisco and then ending up teaming up with uh, Spider-Man to defeat five new offspring offspring of the Venom symbiote. And then Planet of the Symbiotes, which was published two years later, uh, follows an invasion of uh, symbiotes, of an army of symbiotes uh, on Earth. So Venom attempts to sort of stop this invasion by teaming up with Spider-Man again and Scarlet Spider and also investigating a series of murders that he believes to have committed himself. And um, this is also where Carnage makes an appearance as the villain. So you can see um, pieces from these plots uh, sort of scattered throughout the vague details we have of this film. We know that uh, it's going to be set in San Francisco, so that comes from Lethal Protector, and that Carnage is rumored to be the main villain. So that will likely pull from Planet of Symbiotes. So we're kind of gathering more from the... uh, from the details about this movie, it's still quite vague. Um, and, um, yeah, it's still happening guys. It's a movie that's, that's existing. So we'll see if they pull it off because as you saw on the two <laughs> arcs that were, were, um, that were named, they both heavily involve Spider-Man. So we'll see if we can have a Venom movie that cuts Spider-Man off completely. Yeah. I'm just wondering, can you do that? Can you take two comic book storylines that involve Spider-Man heavily, cut him out and mash them together into a, good final product it's it, it just sounds like you know people make fun of hollywood and this just sounds like something they would make fun of in a like snl sketch um but we'll have to see i don't know who knows it, it, it could end up being good but talking about spider-man over the weekend the trailer for sony's spider-man animated movies spider-man 
Into the Spider-Verse, which is, it might, might be like one of the worst titles for a superhero movie ever, um, was released online. And uh, I wanted to uh, t- talk to you guys about this. Uh, you know, let's have a, a a little bit of a reaction to this trailer. And uh, I remember at CinemaCon last year, the Sony people said that this movie was going to look unlike anything you've seen before. And boy, does this trailer look like unlike anything I've seen before. It, it looks like they're doing computer animation, but it almost looks like stop, like stop motion animation. It's a really cool style. Uh, what did you guys think of this trailer? I really like this trailer. I didn't expect to like it as much because animated films tend to not be as high quality as live action films. That's kind of the guarantee. But this film is, or this trailer was timed and animated gorgeously. Uh, like you said, I, the animation looks very stunning and and uh, stylistic, but it also looks somewhat hyper-realistic in some aspects. I think they might have used some some form of rotoscoping maybe in some of the street shots. Uh, rotoscoping is a form of animation in which uh, animators trace over real-life um, portraits or pictures and uh, turn it into animation. So it looks heavily realistic in some parts and sort of like a combination of both CGI and that. I'm just totally guessing, though, so I'm not sure. But it looks really gorgeous, and like the hip-hop beat that they have uh, throbbing underneath it. It's just like, is really good and tense. So I liked it a lot. I was surprised. And I, I love that they're delving into a Spider-Man that's not Peter Parker. You know, we see Peter Parker's tombstone there. Uh, the And you mentioned, you know, the, usually the superhero uh, animated films are not, you know, the quality of the live action films. But this is like going to be a theatrical animated film. And uh, Phil Lord is involved in this movie I uh, I don't know. I, like I, seeing this trailer, and I know we haven't seen this movie yet, but it makes me wonder well, why is Disney not doing animated Marvel movies? Not that like we need all of Disney's movies to be Marvel movies, but like I don't know. It it just it seems like it's a market that we haven't really tapped into as uh, animated superhero movies. You know, for the big screen, I know that they're doing a lot of the you know direct to DVD uh, kind of stuff. Chris, what is your opinion on this trailer? Yeah, I'll say I didn't have much interest in it, but the trailer really uh, swayed me. It, it was very stylish to the point that it, it has my attention. I mean, you know, I, I don't want it to just be style over substance, of course, but visually this looks more exciting than most recent animated films in memory. So on that basis alone, I'm definitely going to give it a shot, see how it turns out. From that trailer to another trailer uh, that debuted at uh, Comic-Con Brazil, and that is for Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One, uh, which the first trailer debuted at Comic-Con in San Diego, and I was so pumped and excited for this movie, and that trailer was amazing. It was like a mashup of epic proportions. This trailer, not so much for me. I I don't know. Maybe it's that I I don't get a lot of the video game references that are kind of uh, smacked into this trailer, and it seems... A little bit more goofier. HT, what are, what are your thoughts on this trailer? Uh, I'm not quite excited for Ready Player One. I read the book, and I did not like it very much. I thought that it was sort of a shallow, uh, not homage, but like it was a very very reference reference heavy, shallow uh, send up to like 80s culture and nostalgia without having quite a message about it and it felt sort of 
like it's imbued a sense of toxic masculinity throughout. I'm hoping that Steven Spielberg will take this franchise and turn it into a clever film. Uh, but the trailers so far haven't really convinced me. Uh, like you said, it's just kind of a bunch of references that I don't really understand. Some of them that I can see, but none that really strike a chord with me. And the animation within Oasis just feels very uncanny valley to me, which is not something that you want to see for that a movie takes place when a movie takes place entirely within this virtual reality system. So, yeah, I'm not quite excited. I do like <laughs> the uh, supporting actors who are there. So Mark Rylance and Ben Mendelsohn showed up and I kind of forgot that they were there and that surprised me pleasantly. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very hesitant and wary about Ready Player One. Chris, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I I love Spielberg. Uh, we, we talked before about how the post is great. So I still think Spielberg still has it, but... I don't. I really don't know how I feel about this. I I've, I haven't read the book, but I've read excerpts of it, and the excerpts sort of make my skin crawl. They're very, they're very. Just it's literally just one reference after it. It's like then I got into the DeLorean, and then I went and it's just like one thing after another. I don't really like his style of writing, so I I have no desire to actually read the book. That but again. You know, like I said, I love Spielberg, so I'm willing to give it a chance for him. And I do love that cast, uh, especially Ben Mendelsohn. So I guess we'll see. I, I mean, it just it seems like uh, this sounds like a snobby thing to say, but I feel like Spielberg is better than this sort of material. I don't really know why he's turning this into a film. But again, I trust him enough that if he saw something here, there there's must be something that he was interested in. So I guess we'll say, well, Spielberg's supposedly a huge video gamer. You know, I've heard everybody say that I can't, I just can't picture Steven Spielberg, you know, with an Xbox or PlayStation controller, you know, playing, you know, one of the latest, uh, you know, like uncharted games or something. It just doesn't, that's a cute little image though. Yeah. Um, (laughs) and I know he's heavily kind of invested in VR and interested in VR. So I, I think he probably sees something there, but it's just, I don't know, and I'm a huge Steven Spielberg fan as well, and I actually would like to see him do more kind of populist movies um, that are, you know, that can reach more people like his early films did. But I don't know, this trailer was not that exciting. By the way, that poster, I know it's gone viral, but there's like, you know, the guy (laughs) climbing up the pole and his leg is like twice as long as it should be. What were they thinking? And also, why did they not hire Drew Struzan to do a poster for this movie? Like, it seems like, like, you know, the most obvious thing. Like, you know, this is a movie about 80s nostalgia. Drew Struzan, who's the, the, the artist who created all the posters of, you know, any 80s kid's childhood, he should, he should have been hired instead of, like, this Photoshop leg thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, at the very least they could have tried to emulate his style or any '80s movie poster style that's tried. And you think of that connection, but that boy, that leg, that's it's haunting. I, I've been, it, it like <laughs> the minute I saw that, I was like, I actually thought it was like a parody of the real poster. I was like, oh, the, someone took the real poster and used like the elongate tool in Photoshop. But no, that's the real poster, and I don't know, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> And the poster itself looks so dull, too. It just looks like a typical YA film. So I'm not really sure what they're going for there. 
Yeah, it looks uh, like a Maze Runner sequel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you're gonna make an '80s mashup kind of movie, why not put all the mashups on the poster? I don't know. And it, it, I'm not sure if you guys saw, but the, someone created uh, the, the, that poster, but it was just the leg climbing up the, 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 the whole pole. <laughs> I don't know. It's just insane. Uh, but uh, moving on, we've been talking a lot about uh, Louis C.K. and his movie, I Love You, Daddy, was kind of pulled from the release schedule after the allegations against him. Uh, we now have word on uh, what is going on with that film. Chris, what do we know? Right. So uh, after the the scandal broke involving uh, sexual misconduct allegations against Louis C.K., which he admitted to being true, uh, The Orchard, who were going to release his film uh, I Love You Daddy pulled it from release and it's it's just see, it sort of sounded like oh that was the last we'd hear about this for a while but uh, news broke that Louis C.K. is going to buy the film back from The Orchard and he's doing it in such a way that The Orchard isn't actually going to lose any money over that so that's good for them I don't know what he's going to do with the movie now um, I've actually heard through the grapevine that the film actually has already leaked online, which I find is interesting because that leak came right after this news that he's buying it back. So I don't know if he leaked it himself or someone. I don't know how that happened, but it's well, apparently if, online. If he's buying it back, if he's spending money to buy it back, I don't think he would leak it online. I'm I don't betting, either, but it's it's weird that it happened so soon after this news. I mean, I'm betting you what he his plans were probably going to be was, you know, he's been doing a lot of that stuff of, of releasing a stand-up special or what was that TV show he released online and people could pay. and Pete. Yeah. I'm betting that was the plan is to release it online, pay your own price, and uh, try to prove that people would still see this movie. I guess. I just – I can't imagine <laughs> – I don't know who actually wants to watch this movie at this point. Even uh, – uh, like I'll confess, I've seen this film because I was one of the people that got sent an award screener for it. They, uh, the Orchard sent out award screeners right as the news broke, and it was too late to recall them. So I've seen it, and it's a, not a good movie. And I, I and I, I'll confess to, I used to be a Louis C.K. fan before all this news broke, and I've washed my hands of him. But even if you're a former fan of his, there's really nothing in this movie to enjoy. It's just a very toxic nasty film and it's sort of like he just filmed a confession about all his misdeeds and there's sort of like a hubris there where he thought like i you know i can just get away with it and he he didn't so it's just strange i don't know who wants to even watch that at this point well maybe it's just the morbid curiosity of this whole thing uh and you know controversy around a film like that i think it 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 gets some interest but uh yeah i i'm not interested um Last up in the news, uh, we've been talking about uh, the potential deal from Disney to buy Fox, and we have assumed that that would uh, reunite the X-Men and the Fantastic Four into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. As it turns out, some new details suggest that the Fantastic Four might be left out of that deal. HT, what do we know? So this goes into the sort of troubled history of Fantastic Four's movie rights, uh, which I'll try to summarize. But it's because when um, Marvel was optioning off the rights to their most popular characters back when they were uh, having trouble with bankruptcy uh, or on the verge of bankruptcy in the uh, late 70s to 90s, um, Stan Lee 
reportedly wanted had such an affection for the Fantastic Four, which were his first characters that he created under Marvel, that he set out to find a suitable buyer for the movie rights. So this resulted in him landing upon Constantine Film, which is a German production company, um, which was ended up being responsible for the Roger Corman B movie that never got released. So they optioned the movie rights to Fantastic Four and had to keep the only way they were able to keep those movie rights was to create that Roger Corman um, B film. And uh, it kind of languished for a little bit. Um, and in order for them to maintain, retain those rights again, they constant film partnered with 20th century Fox, which at this point had had their deal with the X-Men with Marvel and that was going well. So they created a partnership with 20th century Fox to try to strike a deal with Marvel to get an extension for their um, their contract, so this is what res- is what resulted in the 20th, 20th Century Fox Constantine film uh, co-production of the 2005 Fantastic Four. So that co- that kind of collaborative um, partnership has lasted till now. Constantine and 20th Century Fox still kind of share movie rights to Fantastic Four. So we're not really sure where. Uh, Constantine Films rights end and where 20th Century Fox begins. F- thus far, Constantine Film has um, dealt with the production of Fantastic Four films, whereas uh, 20th Century has had distribution rights. So it seems that if this Disney 20th Century Fox deal goes through, Fantastic Four would still stay with Constantine Films and not go under the 20th Century Fox banner. That's- so that's the whole complicated mess of it. So that's interesting. If true, that means that the Fantastic Four rights could be chopped around to another studio, could end up at Universal, could end up at Warner Brothers. I kind of wonder if, like, is it possible to – I'm wondering how much creative control Marvel has in all this. Like, is it possible for, you know, them to shop it to Warner Brothers and have the Fantastic Four join the DCEU in some way? I'm I'm betting Warner uh, I'm betting Marvel has some kind of claw, creative creativity clause uh in 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 the making of these films even though they they don't control the rights but I don't know we'll have to see what happens it seems like this Disney deal is going down uh you know last I heard you know the, they were going over the 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 fine points of it so uh we'll have to see what happens um but that does it for the news today HT where can we find more of your work online you can find me at SlashFilm.com. I'm on Twitter at htranbui, and I have a podcast, the Millennial Falcon Podcast, on iTunes. Chris, where can we find you? I'm also at SlashFilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at CEvangelista413. You can find me at SlashFilm.com. You can find me at SlashFilm on Twitter. You can find this podcast published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast. Just search for SlashFilmDaily. Uh, you know, we, we have show notes with extensive links covering all the stories we talked about today. Uh, so if you're looking for something in, uh, in particular that we talked about, you can you can find a link to it there. You can send us emails, peter at slashfilm.com. Give us uh, questions, feedback, concerns, anything, peter at slashfilm.com. And we will see you tomorrow.